0: Good morning. Good morning. Can you hear me? I can't hear you much. <laughs> okay. Let's continue. Well, it is fun. It is fun to greet everybody. Because we are part of the family of God. It is great to be together. But this morning we're going to talk about a part of the family of God that's not so fun. Conflict. Okay, so hold on. Fasten your seatbelts. Well, good morning. I'm Len. I'm one of your elders, and I have the joy and privilege to to bring God's truth to us this morning. I pray that God will use his word to transform all of us. Doug does a marvelous job week to week bringing God's word. It's great that he gets a break now and then. Let's begin with prayer, huh? Oh Father, you are the giver of all good gifts, who has given us your book as a marvelous guide to how to live in right relationships with you. Oh Father, use it this morning to transform us into the image of your lovely and holy Son, Jesus our Lord, for your glory, amen. Okay, so this morning we're, we're continuing our study in the practical letter of James practical and showing us how to have an act of faith and how to become whole disciples. So turn in your Bibles, please, to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 1 to 12. James 4, verses 1 to 12. If you need a Bible, there should be one underneath a chair close by. If not, you got your cell phone, or if the, the verses should be up on the screen. So from the beginning... Conflicts have been a part of human existence, isn't that right? Starting in the field with Cain and Abel all the way to our present day, the arc of human history is more easily marked by conflicts than by peace. Nations fight over the strangest things. Have you ever heard of the War of Jenkins' Ear? That was a war between England and Spain. Or how about the War of the Whiskers? Another war between England and France this time. Not only are there wars between nations, there are also conflicts that one kind or another over every level of human existence, of, of life. We even used to have gas wars. Remember those? Some of you do. <laughs> okay. And unfortunately, I should say, fighting seems to be a part of God's family. The old poem is still true, I think I've just mentioned it just recently, that to live above with saints we love, to be a sweet, sweet story. But to live below with saints we know, ah, that's another story, okay? So living in God's family is not always sweet, sweet story, is it? I wish it was different. The story is told of the famous novelist, Alexander Dumas, who got into a heated argument with a a political friend. And to settle the argument, they decided to have a duel with pistols. However, knowing, knowing that each was a deadly shot and the outcome would likely be both were dead, they decided to draw straws. The loser would shoot himself. Dumas lost and went alone into another room, and his friends waited gloomily for the shot, and finally the shot rang out. But a moment later, to their surprise, Dumas himself opened the door and said, "'Gentlemen, a most regrettable thing has happened. I missed.'" (laughs) Now, if only our quarrels and conflicts were that way, that they could end harmlessly. If only all the angry words and cutting remarks missed, and did no damage. But that's not the case, is it? Every one of us has hurt others and been hurt by others in the heat of conflict. Our words don't miss. Christians argue, judge, criticize, wound, and discard other believers. Christians separate, churches split, and Christ is dishonored. This passage we're studying today is especially poignant to me because one of my deepest regrets is over how I handled a conflict that I was a part of in another church. I did not handle it well because of my pride. And today, I, I still feel this terrible pull toward pride and self-centeredness and judgmental attitudes. Like even in that video that showed in, before the service began, what's the first thing I, I looked for? A picture of me, was I in there? Anybody else do that? Hopefully I'm not the only one here, okay? So it's, it's no different today. So James grabbed his pen to encourage his sheep to become whole disciples. But in reality, they were failing at every turn. They were not quick to hear, not slow to speak, not slow to anger. They were merely auditing God's Word, playing favorites. They had an inactive faith and fiery, damaging speech. There was chaos and conflict in the church. What were they to do? What are we to do? Listen to James. So James writes in chapter four, verses one to 12, what causes quarrels and conflicts? Let me do that in. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covenant, and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says, But who are you to judge your neighbor? So in perhaps the climax of this letter, James builds on the end of chapter 3, describing how living according to the world's wisdom has led to great conflict among James's readers. Their pride and self-centered passions led to fights among them. Their ultimate problem was spiritual adultery. Strong words but amazing grace. We just sang His mercy is more. We're gonna hear that this morning. As James speaks strong words, there's great grace and mercy in it also. So what's James' mercy or or, his theme for us? Well, grace-drenched humility is crucial for a peace-filled church. That's the big idea this morning. Grace-drenched humility is crucial for a peace-filled church. I'm going to present this idea in three parts. The source of conflict in verses 1 to 5, the solution to conflict in verses 6 to 10, and the solution's result in verses 11 and 12. So let's dive in. So what's the source of conflict in the church? It's wars within us. James points to three levels of conflict. The first is war among us. James asks, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? There's nothing new here. Christians have been at war since Pentecost, but it's not good. Earlier in the book, James wrote, My brothers, these things ought not be so. But where did this war among us come from? From wars within us. James continues through verse 3. Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so You murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So James points out two problems within each of us, a passion problem and a prayer problem. What causes conflicts? First of all, we have a passion problem. These are the inordinate, out-of-control desires These desires may be perfectly normal when they are held in check, but when they become more important than God, they're a problem. But besides our passions that fuel civil war, there's another problem. We have a prayer problem. James writes, they don't ask. Why? Because perhaps they're following the wisdom of the world, which is proud, self-centered, and self-sufficient. What about us? He also writes that that if they did ask, they asked with wrong motives. What they should have been praying for was humility and unity, but they couldn't get past their self-centered desires. So there's civil war within within us that causes civil war uh, amongst us. Well, there's a third level. What causes those two? It's war above us. See, we are at war with God. James continues in verses 4 and 5. You adulterous people! Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? James begins verse 4 with a startling accusation. You adulterous people. The Living Bible translated, you are like an unfaithful wife who loves her husband's enemies. The Greek manuscripts, the best Greek manuscripts have adulteresses, which means unfaithful wives. James intentionally used the feminine form of the word to remind his readers of the adulterous relationship that Israel had with God, their spiritual husband, Instead of being a faithful wife, Israel was constantly jumping into idolatry, which to God is adultery. It's not that they wanted to divorce God. They did not forsake the worship of God in the temple, but they tried to combine God and idols in a polygamous relationship. God in the main temple and Baal in the courtyard. Israel was like an adulterous wife who wanted the security and respectability of her home and husband, but also wanted to enjoy her lovers. God called them adulteresses, and James called these Christians the same. What would he call us, I wonder? So what's James driving at? First, God is in conflict with the world system we live in. The Greek word cosmos refers to the spirit of the age, the spiritual reality of the man-centered, Satan-directed system of this present age, which is hostile to God and God's people. The goal of this world system and this world philosophy is self-glory, self-fulfillment, self-indulgence, self-satisfaction. So God has a conflict with the world system, but also God is in conflict with us. When we choose this world system over Him, when we try to become a lover of this world along with being married to Him, He calls it adultery. What James is driving at is that we are spiritual adulterers. We want God, but we want the world too. We want one foot in the church and one foot in the world. We want the security of God as our husband, but we also want to have our lovers in the world. God calls it also friendship with the world. And the result of this this adultery is God is jealous for our affections when they are misplaced. James writes, Or do you suppose it's to no purpose that the Spirit, or the Scripture says, he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Now, we don't see this as a big deal. We we tell ourselves, what's the big deal about this or that compromise? What's the big deal if I place my standard of living above serving God? He'll understand, he's all about grace, right? But remember, we are Jesus' bride. What husband would say, what's the big deal about my wife's adulteries? It's only marriage. I understand. I'm all about grace. No, a loving husband would not accept that. He would confront her. He would fight for her. And so does God. So there's conflict in the church because there's conflict within us and with God. But that's the problem. But what's the solution? The solution to conflict in the church is grace-drenched humility in verses 6 through 10. So the solution starts with God's grace. James writes in verse 6, but he gives grace, just like we saying, his mercy is more. The great, amazing, stupendous, hope-giving truth and fundamental solution to conflict is God gives more grace. Not just an eyedropper full, a thimble full, a cup full. He gives more grace. What an amazing set of four words. More grace, more of his gifts of blessing and resources for life. God is in an inexhaustible ocean of grace. Now in the northern reaches of the Amazon jungle, I remember when rainy season hit. I have never seen rain like that, instant soaking. Almost like walking under a waterfall. But that's the way God's grace is. And that's good news for us because no matter how bad the wars are between us or within us, no matter how we've blown it, no matter how far we've strayed away from God, God offers more grace than we need. God gives more grace. But why do we still, still struggle? Well, there's a choice to be made, there's a condition. To receive this grace we must set aside our pride and come humbly dependent on God. James continues in verse 6, therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. James is quoting Proverbs 3:34 and tells us that there are two possible roads to take, the road marked humility or the road marked pride. Only one leads to grace, but many take the pride road. I want to be promoted. I want to be recognized. I want more. I want to be the center of attention. I want to be lifted up. Have you ever heard of the the zombie fungus? Sounds like a good title for a horror movie, doesn't it? Well, this fungus infects an ant, takes over the muscles and brain, and compels the ant to leave the safety of its nest for a more humid microclimate that favors the fungus's growth. So the ant climbs a plant to exactly 10 inches high, clamps its jaw into a leaf, and waits to die. In the meantime, the fungus drains this host of nutrients while producing reproductive spores. There's a fungus among us, and that's pride. Pride is like a zombie fungus. It takes over our minds and drives us to climb higher over others, but its end isn't glory. It's spiritual weakness or death because it keeps us from receiving God's grace. And we all need God's grace. Let me put it this way. Okay, there's some of us here who have not trusted in Jesus as your Savior. We're glad you're here this morning. But you know, you've blown it. Maybe some part of your life is is a wreck and you're facing a dark eternity, who should you turn to? Well, not the Ghostbusters, but the Grace Bestower. You need to come to Jesus for forgiveness and new life. He is the one you need. He gives more grace. But for others, you're in God's family, but you know, you also know you've blown it. Maybe some part of your life is a wreck, and you're racked with guilt or regret. We've all been there. Who should we turn to? The grace bestower. We need to be reminded of Jesus' forgiveness and new life in Him and all the other benefits of His grace. He gives more grace. Stronger than darkness, new reborn. Our sins are many. His mercy is more. So the solution to our self-centered conflict begins with God's grace, but that's only the solution. Uh, Excuse me, the foundation. The solution itself is grace-drenched humility. James set the need for humility in verse 6. The only way to get God's grace is through humility. In in verses 7 to 10, he shows us how to be humble before God. So he explores our responsibilities on one side, and then God's promises. Let's take a look at our responsibilities. James continues in verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Responsibility number one, Submit and resist. Submission is the arranging of our lives under God's direction. This means making what is important to Him most important to us. On the other side of the the same coin, we must resist the devil. James links submission to God with resistance to the devil. To submit to God is to resist the devil. To resist the devil means we oppose, we fight back against his temptations and lies. One of the lies has to do with what we think about God's grace. We, th- we can believe that God is what we have worn out, God's grace. Here's how that works. We see the ugliest within us. We feel inadequate. We feel we should be more holy. We worry instead of believe. We should be patient but blow up. We feel ashamed. We know God is our Father, but still, even He must get tired of us. We think we surely have pushed God past the limits of His grace. Surely, He must hold His nose when He has to deal with us. And so, we stay away. But the truth is, God gives more grace. There is always more grace than we could ever need. Always more patience than we could ever exhaust always more love than we could ever imagine, but we must choose to come to him in humility. So how do we submit and resist? Responsibility two is draw near to God. James writes in verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. These double-minded, one foot in the world and one foot in in the church Christians had removed themselves from close fellowship with God they had walked away from their true spiritual husband to play with another. And so do we. How does one repair this relational difference, the distance? How does one return to God? Well, John in his first letter says that if we're going to have close fellowship with God, we need to walk in the light and be truthful with God about our sin. But there's more. Responsibility three is we must clean house. That's Pursue purity in actions and attitudes. James continues in verse 8, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So when a sinner draws near to God, turning in repentance from sin will be a natural response. And there's two aspects of sin to deal with. There's the hand, which represents actions or deeds, And then there's the heart, which represents the motives or intents. To seek to to clean clean house, we must deal with both actions and attitudes. So the humble submit to God and draw near to him and clean house. But there's more. Responsibility number four is, and and hold your hat here. He says, we need to take sin seriously. He writes in verse 9, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Good grief. What's wrong with James? Had he been sucking on a lemon? No, James is not a party pooper. He simply wants his sheep to draw near to God and experience His grace by cleaning house. And that desire for purity leads logically to sorrow for sin. Sin is serious and we need to take it seriously. But again, remember, there is more grace. As we despair over our ongoing pride and self-centeredness and jealousy, as we walk in the light, as we we remember that at that point of despair, God gives more grace in the form of a friend, the living Lord Jesus, who will surprise us with his gentleness and goodness and grace as we leave self behind and in repentance, draw close to Him afresh. Christ is ours forevermore. Isn't that true? Responsibility five is humble yourselves before God. James sums up our responsibilities in this verse. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. To humble ourselves before the Lord means to compare ourselves to Him and then to see our sin and spiritual poverty. Blessed are those who mourn. To humble ourselves before the Lord means to acknowledge our desperate need of his help. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Senator Alan Simpson made this observation. In Washington, the highway to humility has little traffic. For us in the church, the highway to humility should be bumper to bumper. But so the key solution for church conflict is grace-trenched humility. But we need God's grace, and so let's think about, we looked at his responsi- our responsibilities, but it's fruitless if it's just up to us. So what are God's promises if we humble ourselves? He says, "More grace. The devil will flee. Nearness to God, exaltation. In the present, more grace leading to spiritual victory and steadfastness in trials. In the future, the crown of life. So putting all this together, the solution for conflict in the church is to take the road of grace-drenched humility toward God. But we have a choice, the world's wisdom or God's, self-serving pride or grace-drenched humility. War or peace? And the grace of God is the key to the solution. So if we've examined James's thoughts on the cause of conflict and the joy and the solution to conflict, but what does grace-drenched humility look like in practice? One result of grace-drenched humility is humble grace in relationships. In in verses 11 and 12, James writes, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? His point seems to be a vertical grace-drenched humility should lead to a horizontal grace-drenched humility. Along with vertical grace from God to us should come horizontal grace amongst us. What James tells us is is that grace-drenched humility does not speak against people in an evil way or judge them unlovingly. What does he mean to speak against people? I think James is prohibiting speech that is harmful to the best interest of a a brother or sister. James condemns careless, unwise, derogatory, critical, or false statements about another person. But he does not forbid lovingly confronting someone in order to help them grow. What does it mean to judge someone? Why does James oppose judging? Judgments are necessary at times, aren't they? Elders and pastors make judgments. Disciples make judgments. Parents make judgments. Jesus made judgments. But what kind of judging does James prohibit? I think Jesus helps us here in John chapter 7. Jesus put some parameters around judging others when he told his disciples, stop judging my mere appearances and make a right judgment. So in the context, what he seems to be saying is don't form conclusions about people from impure motives or superficial information. So a lot of that, there's two kinds of judging. I'm being simplistic here, I'm sure I know. The wrong kind of judging is condemnation or criticism based on wrong motives or insufficient information. James says, don't go there. The right kind of judging is loving and wise evaluation for restoring another brother or sister. But James goes on. Why stop this wrong kind of judging? Why does James oppose that kind? Because this wrong kind of judging doesn't fit in with grace-drenched humility. Grace-drenched humility does not place oneself above God's law. The wrong kind of judging violates the royal law of, of love to love God and to love others. Also, grace-drenched humility does not usurp God's place, his prerogative, as the ultimate judge. We are not to condemn others. So James ends with a question. Who are you to judge, your neighbor? That's a great question for us to ponder. If we operate in grace-drenched humility, it will be clear that we are unworthy to judge a fellow Christian. Jesus said, remove the log in your own eye first. So consider this question. When we come to church, are we well-dressed or well-humbled? Watching the movie Jesus Revolution reminded me of my judgmental spirit against the hippies back in the 1960s. The question of proper attire in church was one of the dividing issues in conservative churches in those days. The prevailing attitude was proper respect for God is shown by how one dresses for church. So wear your Sunday best. Now, there's nothing wrong with dressing up for church. But the bigger issue is the attire of our heart. It's easy to look good on the outside but be full of jealousy, selfishness, criticalness, and condemnation on the inside. The proper heart attitude or proper heart attire, clothing, for church is grace-drenched humility. Now note, I did not say clothing is optional, Okay, It's just not as important as the clothing on the inside. So our our culture is full of angry criticism, judging and canceling of others. It's often the same in the church. Wouldn't it be great that when the community sees us, they see a loving family? A family that shines grace-drenched humility instead of a self-serving pride? Love instead of hate? Acceptance instead of rejection? Grace instead of judgment? A family that instead of self-righteous condemnation, is compassionate, welcoming, and accepting, yet discerning, no matter who walks through the front doors. A family that when we see others overtaken by sin, we do not see their sin as ammo to condemn them, but information to restore them. Parkview East, we're on the road to grace-trenched humility. I love it how we get together and we bless each other. Well, we're never going to arrive in this life. We're never going to get it totally right. So remember, God gives more grace. Give grace to others and grace to yourself when you blow it. Nevertheless, keep trucking along the road to grace-drenched humility. How? Well, in terms of our definition of whole disciples, Learn Christ. When in conflict in the church, look inside for the cause. Love Christ. Turn back to God on the road of grace-drenched humility. Live Christ. Let grace-drenched humility work itself out in grace-drenched relationships. How? He gives more grace.